belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for January 16th, 2022 is called Minding the Fences. The speaker is John Ray and the location is virtual from the Ray Homestead in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Again, welcome. My name is John Ray. Welcome to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. In our alternative method of worship this morning, um, sorry, I have a dog who just is trying to nudge up here. (laughs) I think he needs to go out, so Jane's going to take him out real quick. Uh, Yeah, that'll be interesting on the podcast. Um, Anyway, Back in the year 2000, way back then, Reed Hastings, CEO and founder of a bootstrap startup, little thing called Netflix, he proposed a partnership with the CEO of Blockbuster Video. Now, remember, Blockbuster Video at that time was the deal. The, they were, the, they were the, the main players in video rentals. He pitched this plan. To him, in which Netflix would have Blockbuster's offices and Blockbuster would manage Netflix DVD subscription. I don't know if you remember, but when Netflix started, you got physical DVDs from them that you would mail in and mail back. Well, the story goes that um, Reed was laughed out of the room. They didn't, even, they didn't even give him the time of day with his proposal. Later that same year, Netflix was so cash strapped that it offered to sell itself all of its business to Blockbuster for a mere $50 million. Blockbuster turned them down cold. 10 years later, just 10 years later, Blockbuster was filing for bankruptcy and Netflix was well on its way to being, well, Netflix. Cool story, right? But what's it got to do with Jesus and our passage today? Well, I, I think it I think it has a way of giving us some understanding on what's happening as we look at this. And we're going to look at this and take our text this, this morning, and we're going to block it into two chunks um, as we go through. So we're going to look at the first part, and then I'm going to give you the, the genre targum or translation of it. And then we're going to look at the second place, and then we're going to make some observations about it. So we're looking at Luke 14. So if you want to start, check out Luke 14, chapter 1. Uh, or verse one. This is what it says. Now, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of the leader of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. They were right in front of him, but there, right in front of him, was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. So Jesus asked the experts in the religious law and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So Jesus took hold of the man, healed him, and sent him away. Then he said to them, which of you, if you have a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? But they could not reply to this. Then when Jesus Jesus noticed how the guests were chose the place of honor, he told them a parable. He said, he said to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. Or hold on, we're going to stop there. I'm going to do the, the first part. So that's the first part is healing this man on the Sabbath. And here's the Here's the John Ray take on that. 
So one Friday night, the start of the Jewish Sabbath, Jesus found himself dining in the home of some of the bigwig fundamentalists. And they were watching him like a hawk. The whole scene was a trap. As they had set a man swollen up as tight as a tick on a dog's ear with, with edema right in front of him. Jesus asked, is it lawful? Is it all right if I go ahead and heal this brother? The big wings were silent. Without a second thought, Jesus healed him, healed the man and sent him on his way. Knowing this had been a setup, Jesus then turned the tables and asked point blank, should I have healed this man? and relieved his god-awful suffering today? Or should I have made him wait until tomorrow when it's not the Sabbath? To restate the obvious, Jesus went on. Which of y'all, if one of your kids or even one of your livestock or pets were to get stuck in a dangerous and painful situation, you, which of you wouldn't drop everything and rescue them right away? Knowing they couldn't answer without admitting that they were wrong. They all sat quietly staring at their shoes. And you see, what we're going to see in both these passages, this first part that we just read, and the second part, which we're going to read here in a minute, is that this jockeying for position and this using the rules to consolidate our privilege or position or power is totally antithetical to the ethic of the kingdom. It is totally counter to the ways of the kingdom of God. And understanding our near inescapable pension for trying to secure and buttress our own place is the key to letting go of that. We have to understand that we all do this. Well, let's, let's read the rest of the story. So the T version here goes like this. Then when Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. He said to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor because a person more distinguished than you may have been invited by the host. So the host who is invited, both of you will come to you and say, give this man your place. Then ashamed, you will begin to move to the least important place. But when you're invited, go and take the least important place. So that when the host approaches you, he will say, friend, move up here to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who share the meal with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He said to the man who had invited him, when you host a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors so that, they, so that you can be invited by them in return and get repaid. But when you host an elaborate meal, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Uh, here's my take on this. Jesus looked around and took stock of how things were arranged, how much effort went into who sat where and who sat next to who as a way of establishing importance and privilege. As he saw this, he told them a story. When you get the wedding invitation and show up for the nuptials, don't make a beeline for the head table. The one closest to the bride and the groom right on the dance floor, the first to be served the little cocktail weenies and the wine. Instead, you might just find, because you might just find yourself asked to give up those select seats 
for someone the happy couple likes more than you do, and you didn't know they were coming. You'll end up in the back of the room with all the kids and the ex-boyfriends and girlfriends who were only invited out of obligation. Instead, start off at that table. And when the host finds you there, they'll make a big deal about rescuing you and moving you up closer to the action. Everyone will see how much you mean to them. You see, everyone who strives to be seen and recognized will be exposed as a poser. But those who are content to not get beyond their raisin will be looked at as the real deal. Jesus took it a step further and said directly to the host, when you throw a shindig like this, forget about inviting all the people that you want there just so they'll invite you to their fancy soirees. Instead, think about all those who would never dream of being invited to an event like this. The lonely, the left out, the losers, those who can't a million years pay you back. Just know you will be paid back in the end in a way that is so much better than any seat at the table with the rich and pretty folk. Y'all, these are not one-off stories, one-off parables. What we're seeing in these, as we talk about the tables and we talk about how Jesus includes people at the tables, these are central, central to the ethic of the kingdom, central to the, the person of Jesus with this. Last week, we talked about how an excuse, when we look at that word in the Greek, it's a laying alongside of, it's taking our perspective, our reasons, our preferences, and then laying them alongside the obligations of Jesus and choosing our own way. Well, when we started this story, it said that the, the Pharisees were, were looking at Jesus intently, watching him like a hawk. It's, it's a way of standing beside. So again, we see this idea of, of someone coming alongside of something else. Here's someone coming alongside someone else with this for the purpose of judging, for the purpose of observing. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing when it comes to Jesus. As a matter of fact, watching Jesus closely is essential to every one of our discipleship if we're doing it as a way of learning to imitate Jesus. But you see, we come alongside people for very different reasons, don't we? We stand close so we can judge them, so that we can see where they are and we can see how we measure up against them. We can see if we can put ourselves above them or if hey, we need to move back some because they've got position and power that we want but can't quite get to. This standing alongside, just like every other human thing, is it's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but our nature, our, our, the way that we're misaligned, our affections are out of whack, we, we twist it to become something used to hurt, to manipulate, to compete with. And then there's a couple of questions that come as we look at this passage, as we're digging into it. Uh, one thing is, why is it so important that Jesus does these healings on the Sabbath? And we need to note that this is not the only time he does this. This is a reoccurring theme of Jesus healing on the Sabbath with this. Um, as we were preparing and talk about this in the teaching team this week, Alex made the comment that that the people here are putting the law, the law, the rules, above all common sense here. 
And Jesus is trying to get them to see something differently. He's trying to get them to see that, that they've taken something that originally may have been good and they've blown it way out of proportion or they've taken it to an extreme that now it actually becomes a negative thing. And, and Jeff made the comment, I, I thought this was fascinating. It's almost like Jesus, when he talks about, when he gives that whole thing about, hey, what if your son or your, or your ox fell in a ditch? He's trying to point to him and say, look, y'all know you don't even do this, right? Like you're telling everybody to do this and, you're, and you say you're doing it, but you yourselves don't practice this. When it, when it really comes down to it, in the moment of crisis, you don't even do this yourself. And yet here you are posturing and parading and being all pious about how you've got this all figured out and you're doing this perfectly. You don't even do it yourselves with this. And they don't even see their hypocrisy until Jesus exposes it this way. And I think that's, that is why he chose to do these things on the Sabbath is he, Jesus was just doing what they were all doing, but none of them would admit. Jesus was acting in the way that all of them would do, it, it rightful, and rightfully do, but they, didn't ever, they wouldn't admit it. They wouldn't admit it to others, and they wouldn't even admit it to themselves in that. And another question that comes out of this, why is Jesus so adamant about everybody having a seat at the table? What is it? Well, first of all, we, we have to remember, too, that table fellowship, especially in this context, the original hearers, that was everything. That determined where you were in society, what your status was, who you were. It said everything about you, about your morals, about your standing in society, about your abilities and your gifts. And so the table is where Jesus continually turns us back to and will not relent in his utter desire, his goal of having everyone included at that table. He just won't give up about it. And Laura made an interesting comment on this as we were, as we were preparing. She said, you know, it's like all this drawing of, of the lines, who's in and who's out, who gets to sit next to who and who gets to sit where. It's, it's like it's drawing attention to the fences, if you think about it. It's drawing attention to the outermost kind of extreme applications of it. And what that does is it takes our attention away from the core message. It takes our attention of why we even have the fences in the first place or why they were put there with it. It's kind of like, um, you know, if you get on, she used this illustration, it was great. Like if you get on and you're, you're making an appointment, a doctor's appointment, maybe, and, uh, and you have to answer all these questions, it's like pro forma. Like, even if they don't ever apply to you, like I, I remember, you know, I, I can fill out a form and it asks me if I've ever been pregnant, right? Like, like that's a ridiculous, why would anybody ask me if, if I'd ever been pregnant or if I was pregnant? Well, it, it's because it started with a good idea. Hey, we really need to find out a patient's condition. We really need to make sure we understand everything. But then it becomes so road, it becomes so far out that it's lost sight of the very core of it with that. 
I think also because it, what it does, it's another way of exposing the way that we all give in to comparing and ranking. Look, we all want to be invited to the supper of the rich and the pretty people of the, of the people that we like and admire of our friends. And we all want to have a good seat. I mean, yeah, in, in certain situations, if we are humble, you know, it's, it's just nice to be invited, right? But, but more naturally, it's like we want to be included. We want to be there. And we don't understand how much wrangling and posturing takes over our lives to get that seat. We become unknowingly consumed by it in a way. And when that happens, y'all, it cuts out everybody else. Even the person who is hosting us, even the ones who we are seeking to gain favor with, we end up using them as just an object, as just a means to an end. And it turns all of these intensely necessary human interactions just into transactional bargaining and bartering. It's dehumanizing at its core. And of course, this is the promise of fundamentalist of fundamentalism, right? Is, is that it removes all the black and white, it removes all the questions. The promise of fundamentalism is, you know, is, is a hard and fast rule on who's in, who's out, who's part of this, who's not, who gets the place, who doesn't with that. This is to be avoided at all cost. And friends, I, I, I kind of feel like the church in some ways thinks like Blockbuster did back in 2000. It kind of has this idea that we've got this all figured out. We don't need any help. We don't need any innovation. We've got the market cornered on all this. We can just need to keep doing things the way we've always done them with that. Y'all, this has got to change. This has to change. It has to change with me. It has to change with us. It has to change with the church. And, and I want to give some very specific, I want to give a very specific outline on how that might look with this as we start to wrap up here this morning in this. Well, the first thing to changing this is we have to understand that we all we are all doing this reflexively and constantly. It is so easy to point the finger here at the Pharisees and the fundamentalists and the posers and the strivers and go there, thank God I'm not one of them. But we are, all of us. All of us do this to some extent or the other. So we just need to recognize that. We need to admit it. None of us is free from this. Seeing it played out in the extreme in the parable leads us and invites us to see it in our own life. And the second thing is, as we admit that, we need to accept that the way of the kingdom, that the Jesus way stands in stark opposition to that way of being in the world. 
that the kingdom calls every believer to radically reorient our affections, our allegiances, our affiliations, using whatever power, privilege, position we have for the sake of others. Listen, we're never going to escape this. We're never going to escape this penchant for doing it. What we need to do is turn it on its head. What we need to do is leverage it for the good of others instead of for our own selves with that. We need to understand that that is the ethic of the kingdom, and that is the, that is the obligation of every believer, not just the spiritual, not just those who've got it all figured out. It is the obligation of every follower of Jesus to do this. And then we need to practice it. We just need to practice it. We need to actively establish personal and communal habits, routines, imaginations that align ourselves with these kingdom ethics. We need to remember the core truth of what it's about instead of just constantly looking at the fence. We need to go back to the center of it and go back to the core truth of who Jesus is and what the gospel message is. And then we need to evaluate every one of our practices, every one of our habits in light of this, because it there is nothing easier than to just keep doing things the way we've always done them. To not risk giving up our seats for others, to constantly be giving just a minimum or what is expected, just to maintain. We have to fight against that inertia that keeps us locked into these habits that exclude other people and that establish our own position in safety and security. This is one of the reasons why we really want to do the table groups. This is one of the reasons why we want to establish a physical location for grace that is accessible to our entire community or a majority of our community, but especially those who wouldn't otherwise have access to a fellowship like ours. Y'all, we can be just like we can be just like the Pharisees in this story. Only inviting people in, look like us, smell like us, act like us, and can invite us into their nice homes in return for our invitation for them to come into ours. As a church and as individuals, we have to we have to fight against that. And that is a hard thing to fight against. That current is strong. It is difficult to paddle against that current. And it's almost impossible to do alone. That's why we have to also do it as a community. That's why we have to establish ourselves in a way that helps all of us make progress against that current. A grace offering a hospitality and a true sense of belonging is a reflection of the welcome we have experienced in Jesus. That's why we seek to practice this with deep humility in the hope that it will guide us to our becoming more and more like Jesus. This belief, and we believe that this practice and experience will both form and be formed by our confession, by what we believe. So thanks for logging on this morning on this cold day. Um, I encourage you to stay around, use the, the Zoom link after, um, just talk and check in with everybody. 
And if you have your communion elements, I wanna invite you to give them now. We practice communion at Grace Church. We practice it as a reminder that all of this is given to us. I, it, it's hard for me sometimes to speak against how much effort, or it's hard for me to speak of how much effort is necessary in following Jesus because it, it can come off sounding like unattainable or uh, in some ways that it's you know critical, but it's, it's not, y'all. It's just we have to do these things. But in doing that, we also know, we need to know that we have been given everything we need to do them. And this reminds us of that. The broken body of Jesus. This reminds us what has been done for us, what has been given to us. And the poured out blood. There's nothing held back. God holds nothing back from us. So take and eat and drink in your homes as Jeff leads us in worship. Thanks all for being here. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.